Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the day which is known as, I guess, the Civil War in the Warner household. I'll explain. It's the, if you know, at 425, the Ravens are playing the Broncos. So having a wife who grew up in Colorado with much family in Colorado is, I guess, Warner Civil War Day. So we'll see how it all goes and may the best team Ravens win. So good morning, everybody. As I said, it's wonderful to be with you this morning here. Uh, We're continuing our series. If you haven't been with us, remember we are in a series called Growing in Christ uh, and having messages that that look at and, and understand, okay, as we go about our Christian lives, as we look to Scripture, how do we grow? Well, what is this? What is our Christian life all about? And we've been discussing this, and I've mentioned this before, but this is kind of, as you remember, we've come out of the book of Acts, right? Uh, our, our, our series before this was going through the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit working. We see Paul going on missionary journeys, and, and we see churches being planted. And then once those churches get planted, when people get together, they, they wonder now, okay, how do we live this Christian life? So as you go through a lot of the letters and a lot of the, that Paul wrote and others wrote, uh, they, they have always some doctrinal sections about, you know, Jesus and all these things. But then they always have this section of Christian living. And, and then how do we live out the faith that we have? And, and that's where we are. We're understanding how we go through and what our lives should look like. We've talked about things such as Christian freedom, like what is okay, what is not okay for a believer? How do we go about these things? We've gotten into some tough topics of biblical marriage and family structure and divorce, and it's not easy topics. You know, I shared about what does Scripture say about marriage. Jonathan shared about what is the family structure? How has God organized the family? And then Jim shared about what happens when things don't align with God's principles. Then Lance talked about loving others. And one of the great tests for us as we grow in Christ is how we are loving others. Jesus talked a lot about how we deal with the people around us. And then last week, Jonathan talked about our speech, how we talk to people. And he really even got to the heart of the issue, which is our heart. And what are we taking into our lives? And whatever comes into our lives is what comes out. And as we grow in Christ, how do we live these things out? And we have, we'll continue on in this series even after today. You know, and as I thought about this, I thought about Jesus in John 15. As he talks about being connected to him, abiding in him. And that's where we get the strength to grow in Christ. That's where we get the strength to live out these things that we're talking about. As we abide in Christ, as we stay connected to him, we have the good fruit in our lives. Apart from him, our marriages lose strength. Our families suffer. It's hard to love others. Our speech isn't encouraging if we aren't connected to the vine and our fruit is growing. Well, today... We're going to turn to the subject of stewardship. It's a word that we use to, to discuss how we use our, our time and our money for the kingdom of God. Billy Graham famously said, Give me five minutes with a, a person's checkbook and I will tell you where their heart is. 
I would expand on that, and, and I think we could say the same thing can be said for our calendars as well. So this is our challenge today. So let's pray and see what God has for us today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come and gather in your name, to, to sing songs of praise, to open up your word, to have fellowship and encouragement from other believers, Lord. For, for this day that we've set aside to turn our hearts to you, to refresh us and to encourage us, Lord. Lord, be with us now as we open up your word. Have your spirit speak to us, challenge us, encourage us in various ways. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as many of you know, in August, I hit a certain milestone. Yes, I, I turned 40. It is... I know, I don't look a day over 15. That's okay, I understand. So, I, but as I reached that milestone, I began to think, you know, you hit this, and this is not, it wasn't a midlife crisis or anything, but you begin to reflect back, and you think, how have I lived my life for Christ? What have I done with the time that he has given to me? And I think we all question that. And if I live these years for his glory... Well, today I want to look at some principles for, for using our time, but also our money. A, a lot of principles and things that I'll talk about have come from a book that really kind of changed my life as I thought about these spiritual disciplines. And, I, and I've mentioned it maybe a year ago or so, but it's this, a book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life uh, by Donald Whitney. And he, and he gives some great um, explanations and things about these, these disciplines and how we should live our lives for Christ. Uh, First thing, as we think about time, he says this. He says, and this is what Scripture teaches as well, that we use our time wisely because the days are evil. And this comes from Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. And he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. In chapter 5, Paul is comparing uh, a life of darkness and, a, and a, a life of living in the light, something that we see a lot in Scripture, or as this passage kind of mentions it, wise or unwise. He mentions being careful how we walk in our lives. You know, we talk about walk a lot, and a walk is how we grow in Christ, how we follow the path that he has laid out for us. We are called to walk in a worthy manner worthy that we've been called to. Paul then mentions that we need to make the best use of our time. Isn't that what everybody wants to do? How many times throughout your day or throughout your week do you say, man, I wish I just used my time better? Or maybe you're, you're one of the lucky ones and you, at the end of the day you say, man, I just used my time awesome today. Anybody in that group? Everybody just is like, no, not at all. All right, well, we're going to get there, right? So, you know, companies will spend millions of dollars, right, trying to be the most effective. And even like a documentary like McDonald's, as they were forming, they tried to get just the right pattern and the right plan to be most efficient. I'm not sure what's happened since then, but maybe they could go back. Anyways, that's for a separate thing. But, of course, Paul in this passage is talking about us as believers, He's talking about us using our time. And why does he say it? He says because the days are evil. 
You know, one of the best attacks the devil can use is to distract us from the things of God, of doing the things that God would have us to do. I mean, just think about it. We, we have cell phones that we carry around with us. There are 24-7 distractions. You, you pull out that phone. That's what the whole notifications are on your phone, right? The notifications, they want that little ding to come up. So then what? You pull out your phone. And once you pull out your phone, you're done. You check the one thing, and then you go, oh, let me check this other thing. Let me check this other thing. And then you're like eight hours later, you're just like, wait, what have I been doing for eight hours? We turn on the TV and we have hundreds of channels that will just soak up our time. Activities, I can speak to this one. Families are busier than they've ever been. If you ever walk into our house, you'll see that there is a whiteboard with a calendar and stuff is just scattered on that calendar. Quarantine was great because all we did was just take an eraser and be like, whoof, and the calendar was empty. It was great. But, but the problem is, our sinful nature within us, right? It's our sinful nature that turns us away from the things of God, of our response of where we should have it. In fact, Donald Whitney says this. He says, We must carefully discipline ourselves in how we walk in this world, else we will conform more to its ways than to the ways of Christ. He goes on further to say, If we do not discipline our use of time, For the purpose of godliness in these evil days, these evil days will keep us from becoming godly. Do you ever feel like that during your days as you're going about your time? Do you feel the pull of this world away from the things of God? So so what should we be doing? I think we reflect on the words of, of Colossians of setting our minds on things above setting our minds on the things that are important, to rid ourselves of this evil world that is trying to hinder our thinking. That, of course, can be hard all the time. Whether you're sitting at your desk at work, you're dealing with the stresses of the day and remembering that the days are evil. But God has a calling for us, a call to live out the life that he's given to us in glory for him to rid ourselves of this evil world, and to focus on him. Often listening to scripture on the way to work, praying throughout the day, or one thing that we even talked about in our small group on Friday, this idea of memorizing scripture, of getting scripture into our lives so that throughout the day we can focus and think upon his word. So we use our time wisely because these days are evil, but we also use our time wisely, as James will say, because our time is short And it is passing. James 4.14 says, What is your life? That you are here for a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. Some translations in this will even say vapor. And you know, we're approaching this time of the year, right? Where temperatures start to drop. It gets colder outside. Where's Rob? Rob, and, And snow starts to appear. He hates it every time I mention snow during a message. So I'm going to say snow as much as I can. Snow, snow, snow. But um, and, and little kids, right, they come outside, and what do little kids start doing? They go this, right? <sighs> Probably not the most COVID thing friendly to do anymore. But kids go outside, and, they, and then what? They see their breath. And, and when you see that breath, it's like a, it's a little vapor. And, and then it's gone. 
It's there. They see, oh, I see my breath. They get so excited. But then it's, it's gone in an instant. And that's what he's saying here is our lives. Our lives are here and they're gone just like that. That time is passing. It's there and it's gone. It quickly fades. And that's what makes time so valuable. It's valuable because it's limited. And some of you might know this, but I sometimes I have an occasion to collect sport card, sporting cards, athletic cards, baseball cards, basketball cards. And sometimes when you open up those packs, you get these cards that they call common cards. One that are just, they make hundreds of them, thousands of them, and are not really worth anything. But every now and then you get like an insert card. They don't make as many of those. That's what gives them value. Those are the ones you hope to get because then you set for life and you retire. I don't have any of those. I'm still here. Anyways, but you know, but we think of this and we look back, right? How many of us have always said this phrase, where has the time gone, right? Where does the time go? You know, we only get 24 hours in a day. That's it. 24 hours to live out our lives. Now, I have some, and I know every time I pull out numbers, people get nervous because I have a tendency to not add things up correctly or spell things correctly or do a lot of things correctly. But I think all these numbers work out. I've tested it and I've seen it. So, 24 hours in a day. Let's think about this. Eight hours of the day sleeping. Unless you're a teenager, then it's like 10, 14, 20, I don't know. However long they're sleeping these days. So eight hours of sleeping. Then you get eight hours of work. And I know these are averages. Maybe you're working 10 hours a day, nine hours. Just bear with me, okay, people? Don't come up to me after this and make yourself sound almighty. So eight hours of work. And then most studies will say that there's four hours of TV time. Now, again, these are just studies. Don't just go crazy on me. Get some response card. I only watch an hour of TV a day. Well, good for you. All right. So, and then the next thing is three hours and 43 minutes of average screen time. Now, I have pulled these together from various things, but I thought when it all added up so nicely, it was so cool. But that is basically, if you look at an average day, there it is. You sleep, you go to work, you watch TV, and you're on your phone. Does that describe anybody else's day? Now, <clears throat> the challenge is, well, I guess you do have like 15, 17 minutes there for God, I guess. You can put that in there. So there it is. But, but the question is, yeah, where are we fitting God into our daily lives? Where are we fitting him into the time that we have in our day? And for, and for many of us, maybe we forget about God. We forget that he's there for us. We forget to, to be in his word daily, to, to, to pray to him daily, to, to be in conversation with him. We get distracted. The days are evil. They lead us away from God. You know, Proverbs has a, a lot of passages that talk about the, the sluggard or the lazy person, the, the things that I probably would have been described as when I was in high school. The book of Proverbs 6. No one laughed at that. That was supposed to be a joke. All right. Anyways, Proverbs 6, 9 says, How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? Now, it says Proverbs 6, 9, but I think you could also say parents 6, 9. Maybe you've said that to some of your own kids in a sense. So, uh, time is wasting. Get up. Proverbs 24, the sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek a harvest and have nothing. 
You know the right time to do something, to go into the fields and plow, but you didn't, and now you have nothing. One last one, Proverbs 26, 14. As the door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. How many of you like to toss and turn like a hinge in your bed, right? Back and forth there, lying there, being busy wanting to do the Lord's work. As we think about this, as we continue and move along, we could spend all day just on that topic alone. But then we have a third thing here. A third thing in that we will be held accountable for our time. The Lord will see how we have lived out our days on this earth. Paul in Romans 14, 12 says, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. It's true that we are saved by grace through faith. But what matters after that is what we do with the grace that we've been given. Do we just sit on it and say, I got my ticket to heaven? Or do we continue on and live out our lives for him? Remember, Jesus gave a command to all believers to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Our time on earth, I've called it this, it is great commission time. And are we living out the great commission as we are living out our lives here on earth? I found this story that the missionary Jim Elliott shared. He was a famous missionary who was killed by a tribe in Ecuador as he was going to share the gospel with them. But he shares a different moment of sharing the gospel. And he says this. He says, coming home, we stopped for a bite to eat and ran into a confused waitress. She had a heart-rendering time trying to speak the word. I had a heart-rendering time trying to speak words of life to her. And as I think of this country now, many just as confused and so more, I realize that the Ninth Street bus is just as much a mission field as Africa ever was. You see, it's a simple everyday interaction that he realized was an opportunity. Here he could have just sat down at his dinner, at this restaurant, at its diner, seen maybe this waitress all flustered, but he could have just sat to himself and said, this is, I'm eating with my family right now. I don't want to be bothered with this. But instead he saw it as an opportunity to speak life into this waitress. And we don't know what happened through it. We don't know the, the conversation that happened. But, but we see that he had an opportunity. He, he saw how God was presenting this to him. He, he was in tune with his father. He was in tune to know that this was a God moment, a, a time. And I realize how many times do we have opportunities like that, that we just move on from, that, that we don't take advantage of the time that God is saying, here's somebody that I've, I've brought to you even to minister and care for. I have faced this question and these thoughts of time so much in my life. I think one thing as you look, as we've gone through quarantine and whatever else we've gone through is it's allowed us to reflect, right? What's most important? How am I spending my time? Where should I put it in a priority? And this year, as many of you know, I've spent the last three years coaching at Perry Hall High School as a part of the boys' basketball program. 
And as I evaluated my time for, for God and for my family, I, I made the decision this year to, to step down from that. And that was a hard choice. I, I mean, if you know me, I love basketball. Basketball is my life. I, I loved being in the school there. But, but I stepped down because I realized other things were more important. See, when I, when I coach basketball, I have to leave here at 2.30 and go up to the high school. And it takes me away sometimes from meeting with church members during the week. A lot of our games are on Friday night. And Friday night is our, our small group. And I didn't want to miss any of those times of meeting. All that, as I looked at it, I realized something had to go on my calendar. And how many times as we go through life do we realize that maybe something needs to drop off our calendar? Something needs to drop off so we can be more attuned and be open and to be used by God. It doesn't really matter, but all these things are those Jim Elliott experiences, being open and looking for those times to serve Christ. My calling is how can we see Christ every day in the opportunities? As we think about growing in Christ, as we strive for a life where we live out this mission for Christ, what is the sign of mature believer? To do the things of God. As DC Talk, ain't DC Talk in the fans, huh? As DC Talk said in the 90s, time is ticking away. Well, they said tick, tick, ticking away because they were kind of rapping it. But that's what they're saying. Time is ticking away. And that we have a mission to complete. But as we think about stewardship, really, it's not just about time. It's also about our money. And I know this is the moment where we now pass and take a second offering. (laughs) Just kidding. Calm down, everybody. All right. But this is the place where people start to get worried as we talk about things. And the problem is, for so long, many preachers have taken advantage of this discussion of money. And those pastors live in huge houses. For example, I just saw the evangelist Kenneth Copeland. He sent out a thing to his viewers that he needed a private jet. And he was asking for donations because he wanted to avoid uh, travel restrictions that were in place. Now that's an extreme example, but that's one of the reasons people get nervous when we talk about money in church. Well, actually, as it comes to mind... I could actually use, no, 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 sorry, sorry, getting, getting off the point here. But we want to think about the money that we have and what we've been given and how to use it for God. And one of the first things that we need to understand is actually a point that Frank brought up in the 9 a.m. class. So I told him, hey, that's a little preview. So the first point is that everything is God's. Everything is his. This helps put us into proper perspective. We don't really own anything. Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, he's talking about this and he says, For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness of their over. He actually is quoting from Psalm 24 there. And then God speaks in Exodus in chapter 19. He says, For all the earth is mine. And then lastly, from Job in chapter 41, he says, Who has first given to me? That I should repay him. Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Everything belongs to God. A better way for us to think about this is to think of us as managers of God's things. This is where we actually get the word stewardship from. 
It's this idea of being a steward. Someone used as a, as a caretaker of a property, a, a manager. And this is what we're doing with the things that God has given to us. We are caretakers managing the blessings that we have. We own nothing. All is his. Well, let's think about this. Remember, your house, right? We all call it our house. But unless you're actually the first person to live in it, somebody else before you called it their house as well. And then whenever you get up and move, someone's going to come in and they're going to call it their house as well. We are just taking these possessions and they are God's. But it's not just our possessions, it's our money as well. Prophet Haggai, how many times do you hear Haggai quoted in a message? Here we go. Haggai 2.4 says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And this is where, as I was reading through Scripture and also through the, the book about dis, dis, discipline, spiritual disciplines, Whitney makes a great quote about our money. He says this. He says, so the question is not, how much of my money should I give to God? But rather, how much of God's money should I keep now? Isn't that just a different way to look at as, as you're not giving, you're holding on to the God's blessings that he's given to you to use for someone else. The money is God's money. How does God want you to bless the people around you for what he's given to you? You know, I, I've shared many times about the job that I had before coming to faith, about working with Youth for Christ. And when you work with Youth for Christ, you're, you're raising your own funds, and at the same time, it's a struggle, but so many times I saw the heart of people. I saw people who understood what we were doing and the mission we were trying to reach of reaching lost kids and what they did in their heart for giving. They wanted to be a part of the ministry and give. I can remember signing monthly just thank you notes. And many of the names on those notes still stick in my mind of those who supported us in ministry. They understood that all they had was the Lord's anyways. And as we think about all that being, we also realize that we see this, that we give as an act of worship. And as you read through the book of Philippians, you realize that the church in Philippi gave Paul a financial gift. They took up a collection for his ministry. He says this in Philippians 4.18. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Do you see how he describes their offering, their gift to him? He calls it a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable, pleasing to God. As I was looking through that, it reminded me a lot of Romans chapter 12. Where Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, on the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. So in Romans, we see it as our lives, our lives living as a sacrifice to God. And then here we see in Philippians our gifts, our gifts and offerings being supplied in worship to God. If you think about that fragrant offering, it takes us back to Exodus and to the Old Testament and to the sacrificial system. In Exodus 29, it says, And burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a pleasing aroma to the Lord. It is a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. We had a 
a fire at our house. Not a fire, a bon- like a, a backyard bonfire at our backyard. Our house didn't burn down, don't worry. And, and you know, as you're, as you're at a fire, you kind of get that smell of a fire. Everybody loved that campfire smell. Everybody loves that. Gets on your clothes and you smell it the next day and everything. All, all that great smell. And what it's saying here, as they put the animal on the sacrifice and as they burn the animal and as the smell goes up, it is a fragrant offering. It is a pleasing sacrifice to God. And he says, your giving is that. It is a fragrant offering. It is a sacrifice to God. It is an act of worship to Christ. It is a sacrifice. And a sacrifice, it's, it's a cost, right? A sacrifice is something that cost us. They had to set something Aside. Now it's important to note this as a kind of a, a parenthesis in this idea of giving, but scripture does point out the importance of providing for our families first. And in 1 Timothy 5:8, it says this: But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith, and he is worse than an unbeliever. Those are some pretty harsh words as we think about the care that we are to have for our families. But then as we think about the people in Philippi, they they sacrificed what could have been used for their own to help the ministry of Paul. Think again back to the Old Testament. They had to provide a a bull, a cow, a goat, or a sheep. All, All these various animals that they brought for their sacrifice. These animals could have been used to feed their families, to help provide for their families. But they provided these as sacrifice to the Lord. In the same way, it should cost us something when we give to the Lord. And there's two great examples of this in Scripture. As you think into Mark 12, right, and the poor widow, as Jesus is sitting there and they're kind of watching, kind of almost like what we have now with our offering. We have these little boxes by the doors. They had these kind of like little trumpet-looking things by the temple doors, and people would kind of walk in and give their offering. And Jesus and disciples were kind of sitting there, how would you feel if you were walking into church past the offering box and Jesus is just kind of sitting there like, let's see who's going to give. This kid, that's his side. But anyways, but as this is happening here, this, this Pharisee comes in and, and gives this great amount of money. But then this poor widow comes in. She gives these little, this almost insignificant gift. But Jesus points out and says, man, she sacrificed and gave way more than anyone could ever give. She has given way more than in proportion to what she had. The wealthy gave, but they didn't give in this sacrificially. It didn't really cost them in what they were given. But this widow came, and she gave out of her needs. She gave out of the little that she had. And this is still true today. Research shows that the more people make, the less they actually give to church. Paul writes about this same idea in 2 Corinthians 8. In verses 1 through 5, he writes these words. He says, I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but as they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. 
Paul says that the people, they lived in extreme poverty, yet they gave in an overflow of generosity and giving to the Lord, saints first and to the Lord. The word poverty here, as you look at it, it actually describes a beggar who has absolutely nothing and has even no hope of gaining anything. But their circumstances didn't stop them from giving. They begged Paul for the opportunity to give, and it cost them with that. And with that, we see the last thing that we learn is that we give cheerfully. We give in a way, and everybody kind of has heard this verse if you've been in church long enough. It's 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We aren't sad when we give. That poor widow or the people of Macedonia, they didn't feel sad when they give. They were excited to give. God gives us the opportunity to take part in the mission that he has for us. See, it's not like paying a bill. You know, you get these bills in the mail, whatever it is, and you're like, oh, another bill. Churches, we're not sending bills out to people. It is this idea of giving to the mission that we have within God's purposes. As I mentioned with Youth for Christ, people were excited. People wanted to give to help us to reach lost teenagers. And God wants to use us to further his kingdom. It's been a journey for us today as we think on this idea of stewardship, this idea of our time and our money. And then as we consider growing in Christ and becoming a mature believer, these are thoughts and the actions that we should have as we grow in Christ. To think about how we use our time, to think about how we use our money, all of that really to better the kingdom of God. We understand that these days are evil that we need to continue in his mission. That time is short and passing, and we need to use it wisely. That we will be held accountable for how we use our time and the things that we do for the Lord. And then we realize that everything is God's, that everything belongs to him. And then we see that we give as an act of sacrifice and worship. And then we also we give cheerfully to the work that the Lord is doing. I want to invite the worship team back on stage as we get ready to end for today, but I want us to still focus on a few things. I want to focus on the things that we do. Well, why do we use our time and money? It's because of what God has done for us. The fact that he has given us his best. He has given us his son. That we were lost sinners with no hope of salvation. But Christ came to this earth, and he lived the perfect life. He died on the cross, the death of a criminal, a death that we deserved because of our sins. But he, he rose again from the dead to show his power over death. And to those who have faith and to those who believe comes eternal life. Do you have eternal life. As Alan, who has passed, and as Jonathan would say in the garden, does God know you? Does he understand? Is there a time, though, there will be a time, as we think about time, when it will be too late? And for those who haven't accepted Christ, there is an eternity apart from him, an eternity in hell. But for those who believe 
there is a great hope, a great confidence we have in being with Christ forever. If you were to die today, where would your soul go? That is the most important question that you can ever decide. Have you decided to follow Jesus? Talk with me. Talk with somebody near you. Don't let this opportunity pass away to accept Christ. For those who do believe, this whole series is about growing in Christ, becoming mature in our faith, watching what gets into our heart. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Pray to him. Reach out to the scriptures. Reach Christ as he wants us to grow in him. As we think on those things, let us pray, and then we'll close in a song. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your son and all that he has given to us in the the free gift of salvation, Lord. Lord, as we think about now how we use our time and our money most wisely, not in ways which will please and honor us, but in ways which will please and honor you, Lord. Help us to grow and be more mature in our faith, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.